I, I want to show you something very simple, and then I, I hope that you'll see it and understand it. I had some notes, but I can't seem to find them, so... Uh, I'm just, I'm just getting older, you know what I mean? <laughs> Something you haven't seen for a while, but I wanted to show you this. If I was to present this little message, I want you to see it in several parts. Because some people, when Christ was here and he preached to mixed multitude, those that wanted to know truth and those that didn't, they would hear different things. Now, when I say, let this hand represent you and me, and the wallet represents sin, we all have sin on us. God says that we've all sinned, and the wage of sin is death, so we're all condemned, and we can't save ourselves, and got to be perfect to go to heaven. And so, just by that part alone, if you listen to that, uh, it's all negative, and it's, uh, it's bad news. Heaven is perfect, we're not. We committed sin, that's not good. We got to pay for it and help, that's not good. Can't earn your way to heaven, that's not good. Nothing's good. It's all bad news. But then, if I say the other part, number five, Christ died for our sins, came back from the dead and said, if we would believe it, we could have eternal life. Oh, that's good. That's good news. Christ died for me. If I believe it, I can have eternal life and know I'm going to heaven when I die. So if you're sitting there listening, so I'm going to take a, make a note out of what Yankee just said. And you only wrote down the bad news. Did, did I say that? Yeah, he said that. Yes, that's exactly what he said. Somebody else, say, listen, and they only wrote down the good news. Boy, that was good news. Boy, that was good news. Somebody said, that was nothing but bad news. One is negative and one is positive. But I only preached the one message. Did I need both of them or do I just need one part of it? I needed both. Because, you see, you can't appreciate the good news unless you understand the bad news. And so because everybody has the need for the good news, they've got to understand why God did what he did and the way he did it. Now, as I've studied the scriptures, and especially in the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I kind of step back and try to figure out, now, what's, what's the purpose of these books and the way they're laid out? What's the point? Why didn't he just write one book that said it all, Instead of four guys from four different angles telling the same story. And yet we know that everything Christ did, as he says in the book of John, uh, that these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that by believing you may have life through his name. So it tells you the purpose of the book at the end of the book. Generally, you think, well, you tell the purpose of the book at the beginning of the book. Why am I writing this book? And as you go through it, you study, what's the point of this book? What's the point of this one? And you find that each one of these books, whether it's of all the miracles that Christ did, the way he handled himself, the questions, the answers, everything was for a reason trying to deliver the evidence that Jesus is who he claimed to be. All of it is based upon belief. Do you believe? What do you have to believe? Look at what he did to get people to believe. So when you go through it and you study it and you see these things, you realize there's more here than meets the eye. 
So the idea that I had in my mind is what is that last piece of evidence? The last piece of evidence that Jesus gave. The evidence that proved that everything he said and everything he did was true. So when you read that, it's, it's very interesting. I want you to take your Bible and just go to the book of Matthew. Go to the book of Matthew. And you'll notice that in Matthew, yes, it talks about the genealogy of Christ and who Christ is concerning the, the lineage as it goes all the way back to David and showing that he is to be the king of Israel and that he is of the tribe of Judah and going all the way up and showing that all of this is true. So here in Matthew in chapter 2, look there in verse 1. Where it says in verse 1, now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem. So it seems like all four of the Gospels starts off with when Jesus began his ministry, as it says in Mark, in the beginning of the Gospel. Uh, like in Luke, in the beginning of the Gospel. And in one, in the beginning about his birth. And in Matthew, in the beginning about his birth. So... Some start with John the Baptist, and others start when he was born. But in the beginning of the ministry of Jesus Christ, and his ministry even began when he was 12 years old, when he says, I must be about my father's business. I love the way it's worded. He says, wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? In other words, don't you know who I am? As a 12-year-old boy, don't you know who I am? That was to his parents. Don't you know I must be about my father's business? And he's not talking about Joseph, who was a carpenter. So he had a ministry. Now, he didn't begin officially his ministry until he was 30 years old. But in verse 1, he says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. So now the rest of this book is going to be laying the foundation, the groundwork, that Jesus has every right to claim the throne of Israel. He was born king of the Jews. This is who he was. This is what he was going to do. And as you go through and you see all the things that Jesus did because of him being born king of the Jews. But now, take and go all the way to the last chapter, or almost to the last chapter. I want you just to see something in Matthew chapter 26. Look in Matthew chapter 26, and you'll notice... Through all of this, it's always about who is this man? Just who is he? Who does he think he is? Who does he claim to be? What do people think about them? And then Jesus even asked them the question, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? He gave the answer in the statement. Who do they say that I am? But because it's all about who am I? Do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? You remember that sermon I preached on? Do you know who I am? In Matthew chapter 26, look in verse 68. 
saying, Prophesy unto us, thou Christ. Who is he that smote thee? You say you're the Christ. Well, they knew that Christ is supposed to be the Son of God. Christ is supposed to be the Lamb of God. You see, they knew that. And if you are who you say you are, who is it that smote you? Remember, they put a sack over his head and they slapped his face. They beat him with their fist. All these things they did to him. It was a test to see, who are you? If you are who you say you are, come down from the cross and we will believe. It's all about, who is he? Who is this Christ? Like I talked about this morning, when he says, the Christ, whose son is he? Why, he's David's son. Well, if he's David's son, how can David call him Lord if he's his son? Interesting. But now notice what else he says. You'll notice three times because it's always about either believing who he is or denying who he is. And you'll notice in verse 70 that Peter, but he denied before them all, saying, I know not what thou sayest. I don't know what you're talking about. Verse 72, and again he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. I don't know the man. Verse 74, then began he to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man. See, everything in life is your identification to Christ. Do you know him? Do you know who he is? Our eternal destination is dependent upon you knowing who Christ is. Who is he? What does he do? What do you believe? What is the reason for you believing that Jesus Christ can save you to start with? How do you know he can save you? How do you know? If you don't know how you know he can save you, how do you know he has? What are you going by? What's the foundational truth? What's your reason? What is the evidence? Everybody has to have evidence. See, that's what gives you confidence and boldness, surety. That confidence that you have. You know that what you believe is true. But what is this great truth? When Christ came for three years, everything he did was to convince him he was who he said he was. And he, did he give any evidence? Did he give any reasons for them to believe what he said? And he said to some people, he says, he did not many miracles there because of their unbelief, because they wouldn't believe. And then when he did do some miracles, they followed him only because they could get a free meal. They were intrigued by the miracles, but he only used them so that they would be convinced, look, only God can do this. Only the Messiah, the Christ can do what I've done. I want you to believe me. So the question comes up. Verse 11 of chapter 27, look at that verse. Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? Are you, are you, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, You said it, man. Well, I didn't say it quite like that, but he says, Thou sayest it. In other words, I don't know if he believed it, but he said, I am the king of the Jews. Anyway, they... 
put some things up here, but I want you to look there in verse 29. When they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head, and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Do you think they really believed he was the king of the Jews? If they really did, they would not have mocked him. It wouldn't have been a mockery. But putting a robe upon him and crown of thorns, that's what the king was supposed to wear. They made fun of him. They mocked him. Why did they do that? Because they didn't believe he was who he claimed to be. You see, Christ had given evidence over and over and over again by the things that he said, and they were astonished at his doctrine, at his authority of the Scriptures. Where did this man learn such things? And he would say over and over again, the words that I speak are not my words, but the words of him that sent me. I did not come to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me, so that people would believe. And even when he prayed, there was time when he would say, my father, I am not praying to you because I need to do it where they can hear, but I want them to know why I'm doing what I'm doing. I want them to know you. Everything he did was to convince people, giving them evidence and the reason is because God says you're hard-headed and you're stiff-necked. You want to know why should I believe it? And so he gave us all these reasons. Look there in verse 37 of the book of Matthew in chapter 27. And he says there in verse 37, And set up over his head his accusation written. He was accused. His accusation, he was accused of the claiming that he was the king of the Jews. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Verse 42 says, He saved others himself he cannot save. If he be the King, is he who he claims to be? You would think after three years, they would either be convinced one way or the other. Some were still mocking, making fun. Some of the people heard him gladly. And then yet there were others. In John chapter 6, the multitude that was hearing him, they were greatly offended because of the things that he said. So he turned to his disciples and he says, will you also go away? He said, whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Will thou also go away? Just think who he was. And they wist not who it was. This was God in the flesh who came to visit man. And in the book of Luke, he says, because thou knewest not, chapter 19, thou knewest not the day of thy visitation when God came to visit. You weren't home. He wasn't welcome. No room in the inn, no room anywhere. They didn't want him in their home. They didn't want him in their government. They didn't want him. He was rejected. He was crucified. Look there in verse 54, where it says, Now when the centurion 
And they that were with him, watching Jesus, saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, you ought to underline this, truly this was the Son of God. This is who he is. He is the Son of God. Those things that happened, the earthquake, the darkness, all the things that they saw, Some convinced some people and something would convince somebody else and something would convince somebody else. See, I don't know what it is that convinces everybody of what they believe. But I know this. I have been convinced. I have all the evidence that I need. I need no more evidence. I haven't needed any more evidence for 53 years. Because that night when I trusted Christ as my Savior, I believed with all my heart that He was who He claimed to be and that He would save me and give me eternal life. This has changed my whole life. Changed my life. I'm not the same man I used to be. It doesn't matter what's come and gone. It doesn't matter about all the heartaches and the problems. And I've had a lot of them. When I sat down and I wrote that song, we saw the rainbow through the rain. What do you think that song's about? Listen to the words. We saw the rainbow through the rain. Not when it's sun shining. It's that there's always problems. There's always something that caused the tears to flow. There's always heartaches and problems and despair. And yet there's something that you see, the promises of God that keeps shining through, and you just keep on moving, just keep on trusting. And you don't know how God's going to deliver you. Just believe that He will. And if He doesn't, like the three Hebrew boys that said, if He doesn't deliver us, we're still not going to bow the knee to Baal or to bow the knee to the king. We're not going to fall down and worship you. And if we burn, we burn. Did you know God set that whole thing up? God already knew that those three Hebrew children were not going to burn in a fire. He knew they were going to be cast in it. But he looked in there and says, how many did we throw in there? He said, with three? I see four. And one looks like the Son of God. I don't know if he ever saw the Son of God before, but one looks like the Son of God. And they came out and there was no smoke smell on them. Nobody's hair was singed. The fire never hurt any of them. Now don't you try that. Don't you try that. And don't jump over some fence at the zoo and see if the lion is going to keep his mouth shut because, hey, Daniel, it did it for him. And you think they're going to get lockjaw? The Bible says, tempt not the Lord thy God. Like jumping off the Empire State Building. Say, if God doesn't want me to get hurt, I won't get hurt. Well, halfway down, hey, so far so good. <laughs> but you know you have an appointment with the concrete. Mashed potatoes. So as you go through and you read these things and you see that God has done all of this. Now, I want you to see something after it's all over with. In verse 18 of chapter 28, he says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Something must have happened between this point and that verse we read over there where he was on the cross. 
And they were watching Jesus. It says, truly this was the Son of God. Something must have happened somewhere in between here. <gasps> there it is. Chapter 28, in verse 1. Where it says, in the end of the Sabbath that began to dawn toward the first day of the week came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulchre. And behold, there was a great earthquake for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the door or stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye see Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here. Look at verse 6. He is not here. He is, I wonder where he is. He is not here. For he is what? The last piece of evidence has been provided. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the last piece of evidence that this man who claimed to be the king, this man that claimed to be the son of God, this man that was the great servant in book of Mark, and this man that was God in the flesh, this man has given us the last piece of evidence that anybody needs. And if that doesn't convince you, nothing will ever convince you. Jesus came back from the dead. Now, there's a lot of people today that don't believe in teaching the resurrection of Christ. But if we don't have a resurrection, we don't have a Savior. Jesus came back from the dead. So as you study the whole book of Matthew, it ends up with this last piece of evidence. You study the book of Mark, and it's this last piece of evidence. Look at Bible look there in the book of Mark. And look there in the last chapter, 16. I want you to see this. Because a lot of similarities in each one of these four Gospels. But you'll notice, and I'll just jump back one extra chapter, chapter 15 of the book of Mark. And you'll notice in verse 32, and it says, Let Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross, that we may see and believe. The people were looking for a reason to believe him. Give us some proof. And yet he had spent three and a half years giving them evidence as to who he was. And they still would not believe. All right, we know you're up there now. We know you're nailed to the cross. Now, why don't you come down from the cross? And the thieves on both sides says, yes. Why don't you come down and save yourself and us? And then everybody will believe. Because you know that you can't come down off that cross. And I've told you before, I would have come down. I zapped him and went back up. <laughs> but he did not come down from the cross. Because if he had came down from the cross, nobody could have been saved. Isn't it something that here's someone that could have very easily have done whatever they requested. If they wanted him to jump through some hoop, he could have jumped through some hoop. If they wanted him to do some little miracle just for them, special, he could have done all of that. But he was fixing to give them the greatest miracle of all. No man of his own power has ever come back again from the dead. Did you know if you could come back from the dead, you wouldn't have to fear dying? And that's the point of the resurrection. So that we don't have to fear death. We don't have to be afraid. We know that we'll live on the other side of the grave. When they kill this body, we know we're still alive. Because Jesus 
came back from the dead. Just like he promised, just like he said. It says down here in verse 39, just a little different twist, but it says the same thing as Matthew in chapter 27, when he talked about the centurion. In verse 39, And when the centurion which stood over against him saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. He was who he claimed to be. See, in one place, he, this man is the king. This man is the Son of God. He's who he claimed to be. Now, what is it that convinces us? Because here we are on this side of the resurrection 2,000 years later. And God wants me to serve him. Why should I? Why should I? Well, who is he? Who is asking me to do this for him? Look, I've only got one life to live. And why should I live it for somebody that I can't see? I mean, why should I jeopardize my future of what I want to do and what I want to be and where I want to go for somebody I can't see who died 2,000 years ago? He's God. Oh. And this God has my life in his hands. Like this one man, he wanted to see just how wise, you know, the man on the top of the mountain peak really was. You know, there's always this guru that sits on top of a mountain peak, and you have to climb up this great little steep mountain, you know, about 30,000 feet up in the air, you know, and you got to go see this guy. And you ask him questions, he knows everything. He said, I'm going to trick this guy. So he put a live bird in his hand. And he climbed up this mountain, he gets up there. He says, oh, wise one, the bird in my hand, is it dead or is it alive? And if he says it's alive, I'm going to kill it. If he says it's dead, I'm going to let it loose. In other words, whatever he says, I'm going to trick him. And he's wrong. The point is, can I prove that he's wrong? There are people who are determined to prove God wrong. That God's way isn't the best. God doesn't know everything. What about my world? I can be happier without God. There's a person called the devil and he lies. He deceives so the old wise one sitting on the top of the mountain peak, he says, It shall be as you desire. It shall be as you desire. Good answer. So it will be according to what you want. Do you want to believe? You can. If you don't want to believe, nobody can make you. Nobody can make anybody trust Christ as Savior. All we do is present the evidence the best that we can. And leave it to the individual. Will you believe this? Will you believe this most wonderful, wonderful message?